Um, can I just say it is, <laughs> I think I said this last time, it's a joy to be up here um, and to see all your faces. I'm usually sitting in the front because most of you don't want to sit in the front, which is fine. Um, but uh, it's a joy to see all the faces. It's, it's a joy um, to know almost all of you and a joy to see so many of you that I don't know yet, that we don't know yet, um, as Amy kind of alluded to. Uh, we have a lot of people out because of holidays and busyness. Um, of course, our lead pastor, Anthony Rodriguez, is, is traveling with family, getting some much-needed time off. Um, and so you're stuck with me. <laughs> uh, we're going to get right into the scripture. Uh, we're following today is the second Sunday of Christmas, the second Sunday after Christmas. We're still in the Christmas season. We'll talk plenty about that. Um, and so we're going to follow along again with the lectionary readings. Um, if you're following along in your own Bible, I'll tell you ahead of time where we're going to go to. Uh, we're going to start in Jeremiah chapter 31, then be in Ephesians chapter 1, and then John chapter 1. Those last two are really easy to find. Starting in Jeremiah chapter 31, verses 7 through 14. For thus says the Lord, sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and raise shouts for the chief of the nations. Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the farthest parts of the earth, among them the blind and the lame, the pregnant woman and she who is in labor together, a great company. They shall return here. With weeping they shall come, and with pleas for mercy I will lead them back. I will make them walk by brooks of water in a straight path in which they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the coastlands far away. Say, he who scattered Israel will gather him and will keep him as a shepherd keeps his flock. For the Lord has ransomed Jacob and has redeemed him from hands too strong for him. They shall come and sing aloud on the height of Zion, and they shall be radiant over the goodness of the Lord. Over the grain, the wine, and the oil, and over the young of the flock and the herd, their life shall be a watered garden, and they shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance, and the young men and the old shall be merry. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance, and my people shall be satisfied with my goodness, declares the Lord. In our New Testament reading, from Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Lastly, our gospel reading, John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was, was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that all might believe him, might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This, is, this was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law that was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you um, for this word that we can read today and that we can understand by your Holy Spirit, uh, illuminated by the word Jesus Christ who's come into this world to save us, to open our eyes. We ask that, that you would teach us through your scripture. Father, that you would guide my words and any that are not edifying or not of you, would be easily forgotten. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Um, so as I said, it's the second Sunday after Christmas. There are 12 days in Christmas. You've heard all of this stuff. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty tired. Um, not just tired from the busyness that comes with the Christmas season. I'm tired in general. And I don't, I don't say that to complain. That seems to be what I hear from basically everyone. I'm tired from any number of reasons. Um, but what we're going to see here in scripture hopefully will uh, help us to enjoy such a long season. And Christmas, just in case you didn't know, is not the longest season in the Christian calendar, uh, but it is one of the, the more important ones. Uh, what we're going to see here is that Jeremiah has, has reiterated this promise of God to redeem and to save his people, to bring them back to him. In Ephesians, we'll see that this has been accomplished through Jesus. And then in John, uh, we see that that was God's plan all along in which we can take heart. Um, so nine days into Christmas, is anyone else tired? You didn't raise your hand, yeah? Here's a harder question. Does anybody else have trouble celebrating just in general? Well, there's a couple hands. Thank you for the honesty. I... Uh, I'm an awful celebrator, to be honest with you. Um, sometimes just don't think to, sometimes don't feel like it. Um, and my wife, many other people could probably attest to that. Uh, it's not something I'm proud of. Uh, it's something I'm working on, but it is, it is the truth. I'm, a, I'm an awful celebrator. Um, 
one of the, the sad things about that is that uh, that doesn't really line up a lot of times with my thought life, right? I, I know that I love my wife. I think mostly kind things about her. I think, look, she knows me. I'm not, I'm not saying anything she doesn't know. She knows me. Um, I love her. I appreciate her. She's a gift from God. She's my partner in this life. And simultaneously, I don't celebrate maybe her birthday as well as I should or our anniversary or just, again, her being my partner in life. I don't celebrate these things uh, the way that I know I should. And the truth is that I do the same thing with Jesus. I do love him. Um, and I don't celebrate him as I ought to. Um, so the prospect of a, of a multi-day celebration, of being merry, um, is, is formidable uh, for me. Um, it's going to take some real intentionality to even be thinking the right things for consecutive days, much less practicing them or feeling something like Mary. Um, and I really don't think that I'm a party pooper. Sometimes I might be. I really don't think that I am. Um, but my external celebration doesn't match my thought life, um, and so I'm left wondering what's going on. You know, if I'm not just this mean, kind of heartless person, what's going on? Um, and God help me, I think it's actually far worse. I think that I'm probably cold-hearted um, is the truth. And, and that's one way that someone might experience celebration is is feeling kind of cold-hearted. Um, if I'm the only one, then <laughs> maybe you'll fit into a second category. Another way that, that people might experience celebration in their lives is appearing to be great at celebrating. Uh, buying gifts, giving gifts, decorating beautifully, and so on. Um, is the appearance of celebrating. That's not to say you're not celebrating well, but it's at least the appearance. And one of the, one of the major problems that we find uh, in our society with Christmas and the celebration of Christmas is that we expect far too less, um, far too little. So what happens when we expect too little? We settle for too little, right? You expect too little, you settle for too little. Um, and so to call what, what most of us have experienced the last week and a half, two weeks, something like trimmings uh, could potentially be a massive overstatement um, because it's only to the degree that all of those things, the decorations, the gifts, the time with family, singing the Christmas carols, it's only to the degree that those things are directly intended to celebrate Jesus or are coming as an overflow from God incarnate that those things can be something more than trimmings. What I would suggest to you is that whatever our experience is in celebrating Christmas and indeed uh, celebrating Jesus every day is that probably nearly always our celebration is far worse than we think it is. In his long poem, uh, For the Time Being, 
by W.H. Auden. He writes, In general, we have grossly overestimated our powers. Once again, as in previous years, we have seen the actual vision and failed to do more than entertain it as an agreeable possibility. Once again, we have sent him away, begging, though, to remain his disobedient servant, the promising child who cannot keep his word for long. And the primary reason that we find ourselves in this position of uh, poorly appreciating and celebrating one of the two most significant events in human history um, is that we are so unlike God, uh, is that the true meaning of Christmas is inexhaustible, is incorruptible, immutable, transcendent. How could we possibly celebrate such a thing rightly? And yet he is also very near. He is imminent to us. This idea of nearness is uh, not tough. We're comfortable with whatever's nearest to us, right? Um, Especially that which stays near to us, we're comfortable with. Um, And let's be honest, it doesn't usually matter if that thing is good for us or not. Um, If it's near us, we get comfortable with it. Easy examples, again, from this holiday season. Sugar and entertainment. So your whatever, your fruitcake, probably not your fruitcake, maybe you, maybe you like fruitcake. Uh, your fudge or your Christmas cookies, that's not really the stuff I'm talking about. That's celebratory, right? I'm talking, especially parents of young kids, I'm talking to that candy stash of your kids that you're actually the one diminishing. Um, I'm talking about the... Uh, the struggle of not being able to go very long without something sugary to eat. And some of you don't struggle with that. And you can explain yourself to me and help me maybe after service. I don't understand that. Um, Entertainment, again, I'm not talking about watching a Christmas carol for the 450th time or going to see the Nutcracker or whatever. I'm talking about that app on your phone, that TV show, whatever that thing is that you run to when you need to be mindless for a while. And what I'm not saying is that either of these things are necessarily bad. What I'm saying is that they're near to us, we get comfortable with them, and they're probably not that great for us in the long run. Um, So what are we most near to? We're most near to the material world. We're obsessed with the physical world in large part because it's what we can see, it's what we can touch, it's what we can understand. And we're convinced by seemingly everything in this world, by maybe it's by some sort of forces of evil, by culture, by our friends and neighbors, by our friends on Facebook, by ourselves, we are convinced that our material circumstances are what determine our happiness, our joy, our well-being. Uh, you know, kind of another example. Um, I've had a lot of sleepless nights or trouble sleeping a lot of nights for the last three years or so. It's not every night. It's not even every week. Um, but it's a thing that I've struggled with. And mostly what I do is try to be conscious of what's happening physically. Don't drink anything too late or I'll have to get up and pee. Don't 
eat too late or my body's going to be metabolizing and I'll be waking up in the middle of the night, right? I didn't take in Benadryl just to get drowsy and be able to stay asleep all night. Um, but if any of you have ever struggled with sleeping well and sleeping consistently, and I assume some of you have, you may know that one of the things, at least in my experience, the, the primary thing that's, uh, that's not going right, that's not well with me, is not exactly physical. It's that I have a troubled heart or I have um, a mind that's wandering. It's that my spirit is not at rest in God. So what's my point? My point is we focus on the physical stuff, the physical stuff that's close to us that we think we can remedy. That's what we tend to look at first is the material. And of course, the physical world is really important. These things are important. My body is important. The way that we celebrate physically is important. The problem is that we've twisted them around, that we're not looking at them um, in their proper contextualization. Either we lift it up higher than it ought to be or we neglect it altogether. We know chiefly that the, the physical is important, right? Because God created the physical world and then he physically came into the world. So the physical must be pretty important, right? I'm going to talk a little bit about that, about, about our, our physical bodies and what's happened in the world. Um, due to the fall, our bodies were given over to corruption and to death. But the word, the immortal son, uh, he knew that the only way to reclaim us, to disallow that which he created from being given over to death, and destruction was for that decisiveness of death to be removed from the equation. But he's eternal God, right? He can't die. Um, and him being unchanging and true, he also can't go back on his work. He can't remove um, the fact that sin results in death. So what does he do? He assumes a body, though he himself cannot die, he assumes a body which could be given over to death in order that he might resurrect that body and in that same physical body dwell at the Father's right hand forever. And here in Ephesians, Paul tells us that Christ has blessed us, that God has blessed us in the Lord Jesus Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So we have every spiritual blessing now. We have the hope of this physical blessing that we're not experiencing it right now. What's the, what's the importance of all this? Why do we need to think about this physical and the spiritual? How does this inform our celebrating of Jesus at Christmas time? Um, why do we need to stop and seriously consider the coming of the Son in physical form to earth? Why does it matter so much that our right thinking should lead to right celebrating? You know, the language that's used here in these texts we, we read are affirming. Jeremiah says that he has ransomed us, that he has redeemed us. Paul says he has blessed us. It's been accomplished. In short, Jesus is worth celebrating because he created us, because he redeemed us. To put it very simply, your body is going to die. 
Your spirit's not. Your body's going to be resurrected. And you will live forever with God perfectly with every spiritual and physical blessing. The incarnation, the birth of Jesus, the resurrection of his body, the giving of his Holy Spirit, these things confirm this, they guarantee this for us. If that sounds kind of basic, heard it a dozen times or so already this Christmas season, that's okay, because we will soon forget these truths. Or maybe you're sitting here thinking, I'm not sure I follow. I'm not sure that I care as much as I think I do either. Uh, Maybe you're thinking, yeah, honestly, I'm kind of cold-hearted too. Um, If you're feeling insufficient, if you're moving in a direction of condemnation, um, feeling guilty because you have once again, like me, failed to celebrate the birth of Jesus with all the intent care and the joy that you could or maybe you went all out maybe you bought all the presents you visited all the people you sang the hymnary of advent and uh, christmas seasons but truthfully you're feeling like your efforts were something like that cheap plastic garland the closer you get to it the more fake it is the uglier it is the more disappointing it is the nearer you get to it Or maybe neither one of these are you. Maybe you think that you did great. Maybe you're still going strong in day nine of Christmas season. And maybe you actually did. But to be sure, you will soon forget that even that is completely dependent on the grace of Jesus. Or maybe for you, all of this sounds absolutely ridiculous. Maybe your faith is not in Jesus and the thought of some creator God who would stoop so low is silly at best. Wherever you fall on this spectrum of celebration in this Christmas time, I want you to hear that Christ is born for you. Jesus, the eternal word mentioned in John, has been manifest in body out of the goodness of the Father for the salvation of you and of me. Athanasius, in his work on the Incarnation, writes that it was our sorry case that caused the word to come down, our transgression that called out his love for us so that he made haste to help us and to appear among us. For us, he has done this. You might wonder, you might doubt, you might not think much about this stuff at all in the Christmas season, You might be suffering through the Christmas season depressed. I've been there. I know what that's like, trying to maybe be some sort of beautifully wrapped gift, hoping nobody notices how empty you really are on the inside. Uh, This Christmas season might be, for you, difficult memories, um, memories of people that you've lost, memories of, of a household that was not celebratory and loving and warm. Maybe you're bitter. Maybe you're upset with a family member. Maybe you're upset with a circumstance that someone didn't visit you. Maybe they didn't visit you for the umpteenth year. There is room for all of that stuff within the Christian life 
and within the Christian experience of the Christmas season. Because no matter where your path is of wondering, of questioning, of doubting, or of suffering, the answer is always unchanging. Athanasius continues, The renewal of creation has been wrought by the self-same word who made it in the very beginning. There is thus no inconsistency between creation and salvation, for the one Father has employed the same agent for both works, effecting the salvation of the world through the same word who made it in the beginning. What I want you to hear is that God has never left you. He has never let go, and he has never intended to do so. It is the self-same God who made everything, who sustains everything, who is sustaining you in your darkest moments when you are sure you're drowning and dying. And it is the self-same God who is actually carrying you when you're quite sure that you are just killing it in life when you are quite sure that you are strong and doing well, it is actually that self-same God who is at those moments sustaining you. Christ is born for you. He has come to give you a new heart, to give you that which you could never buy with gold, to give you that which you could never decorate enough for uh, with all the trimmings in the world. He has come to restore you and me back to his own likeness. God has moved, not we to him, but him to us. God wants to be near you. He wants to delight in his children. He wants to be with us. And as we await being unified with him physically forever, again, Paul has assured us, we have received every spiritual blessing. We have received the light that the darkness has not put out to know what it is that we're moving toward, to know what it is that we're celebrating. And in talking of nearness, who could be nearer to you than the Holy Spirit that indwells you? The Father's banner over you is indeed love. And the great love of God has marked you as his That is why Jesus was born in human form. He literally came to earth for you. John tells us in verse 18 here that no one's ever seen God, but the very God has come to us to reveal himself. That is wild. That is something that must be either true or we're all fools. Our job now is not to figure it all out. Our job is not to figure out how to think right, how to appreciate right, how to celebrate right, and then do it every day. Though we should, to some degree, pursue those things. Our work is chiefly to look with intent at Jesus, at the reality of what God has done for us in his Son, to see the grace upon grace that he's given us and to allow Jesus' efficacious work to change us. Our work is to let the Holy Spirit cause us to celebrate rightly, even when we are celebrating so very poorly.
Our work is to fall at the feet of Jesus again and again, begging for his warm mercy to cover our cold hearts, for the depth of his love to overcome, overcome all of our shallowness. If you don't know Jesus in this way, as the creator and sustainer and the redeemer, you're invited today to inquire of him, to ask him, Jesus, would you show me who you really are? Would you teach me the reality of you being born and Christmas and all of these other things that just don't seem to make sense? And his answer to you is surely and forever, yes. Yes, I will. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so incredibly grateful for your love for us, that you would create us simply because you wanted to, that you would sustain us because you wanted to, that you would come to earth in such a wild and unexpected way to redeem us and to live with us just because you wanted to. This is, Lord, we admit, difficult. Maybe it seems overly simple. It is difficult for us to wrap our heads around, Lord, that you would love us thus. But we trust your word that it is true and that this has been your plan from the very beginning. Jesus, would you open our hearts and our minds to receive this truth, not just now, not just in the Christmas season, but every day. Would you help us to pause, to expect, to look for, to request that you reveal yourself to us, that we would look forward, Lord Jesus, to the day when we will dwell with you forever in a new heaven and new earth. Thank you that in your incarnation, that in your resurrection, that in the giving of your Holy Spirit, we can know that this is what we are to expect. We can know what is the reason for our, our hope and for our joy. May we go forward from this place, sharing it with everyone around us. Thank you, Jesus. We love you.